love, compassion, giving yourself a break, the freedom of just forgiving and moving on. You are in the right place if you want to be thinking higher quality thoughts and loving with your whole being. We can love ourselves into ease. We can melt polarization. I'm Danielle Laporte, and this is With Love, Danielle. I have been wanting to talk specifically deeply about the ego for a while. This is it. Hello, ego. This is a conversation that we have really deeply in my new book, How to Be Loving. How to be loving when your heart is breaking open. It's always breaking open. And the world is waking up. Let me give you the good news. It's all good news when you love it. The ego is really a gift. The function of the ego is to show us who we truly are and who are we truly. What's our original nature? What's the stuff of our soul? Love, compassion, radiance. Guess what? All the darkness and the manipulation and the fear of the ego points us to all of that expansiveness. The ego is only here to point out who we truly are, but we have to go into what I call the basement of our psyche, into the dark, into what Carl Jung called the shadow self. So much gorgeous work from Jung on the shadow, and it's in the shadow that you find the light. Underneath anxiety is courage. Underneath guilt, you're going to find your liberation. Underneath your depression, you're going to find your joy. In the wound, you find the medicine that heals you, that gives you the capacity to help other people heal themselves, which is why no one is here alone. We're not all floating on these micro planets, although I think you know, in terms of reality constructs. If I am God, I am in my own dream right now, waking up from that illusion. Anyway, let's get back into what the ego is. The ego is the shadow. Here's all the interchangeable terms for ego. The unhealed self. For me, that's the most concise and useful term. The ego is just the unhealed self which means it can be healed, which really, really means, and this is the big point here, the ego is part of yourself, and it's separate. It's a little confusing, but we're going to get to clarity. The ego is the small self. The ego is the abandoned self. It's the unconsciousness or the subconscious. We can get into the layers of that as well. Uh, And I think the ego is more like a verb. So we move into egoing. Egoing is the opposite of loving. It's the opposite of getting together. The invitation is to love it all. So we're not banishing our ego. We're not admonishing it. We are not criticizing our ego because when we get down on our ego, it's just going to show up with more anxiety, more control, more bravado, which is really just masking all the insecurity underneath. It's just ego shamazel, right? So ego as the unhealed part of us. So simple, so beautiful, right? Let me put this even more succinctly, is that the ego is the way our unhealed self acts. So our unhealed self is 
making bids for attention. It wants things that keeps it familiar in its smallness. So the ego is actually the way our unhealed self acts. The ego is not a separate part of us. It's a behavior. It's a way of perceiving. And the ego will always divide things up into little parts. Who's right? Who's wrong? Who's secure? Who's insecure? All those things. What parts of ourselves are good and socially acceptable and valuable? And what parts of ourselves we should hide and be ashamed of and not accept and keep yelling at for years in self-development workshops? The ego is a way, again, a behavior of exaggerating this sense of being a separate self. The ego's job is to perpetuate hyper-individualization. It's always campaigning for separateness. It's a way of identifying, again, really moving into this awareness that it's not a separate thing. It's not a separate entity. It's a way that we be. It's a way of identifying as being apart from, apart from soul. It's a way of identifying as being separate from the source that creates everything. How could we ever be separate from the magnificent universal intelligence that creates everything? Nothing is outside of that. Nothing. Not the dark, not the light, not the evil, not the good. It's all under the umbrella. It's all the creation of. But the ego says, no, I'm the outcast. I'm separate. I didn't come from that goodness. Let me prove it to you. The ego is a way of seeing, a way of seeing ourselves as alone. And what happens when we see ourselves as alone on the outside, then we perceive that we live in a hostile universe. It's got to be that way, right? Now, here's the thing. The ego acts like it wants to keep things this way. The ego acts like it will always want to be separate and on the outside and less than or better than, but it doesn't. It's just the game that the ego plays. It's a stunt. It's part of the theater of the mind. The ego doesn't want to be on the outside. Not really. The ego is looking for love in all the wrong places. (laughs) But it's up to us as souls as divine beings, to see that the ego is just acting like it doesn't want to be loved, but when really it just wants to be loved. And you are the parent that's going to go, ah, I know what you need. Now, the ego obviously gets a pretty bad rap, (laughs) understandably. We tend to think of the ego as arrogance or as grandiosity. It's like it's bravado, it's flash, it's the baller. Uh, But when I was a little tweeny, some folks might have said I was too big for my britches, you know, that I had a big ego as a young girl. I don't know if they were even that deep to say that. <laughs> but mostly we identify ego as like they're too big for their britches. However, the ego also shows up as insecurity. Ego, that shadowness, remember that unhealed self can show up as very meek overly self-deprecating. The mind that wants to keep us separate from the divine is going to try and play all sides. It's going to do whatever it can to keep us out of that higher vibration state, out of higher, deeper, more loving experiences, those experiences being 
acceptance, and communion. Division does not want acceptance. Division does not want unity, right? So ego mind is going to come in with all the reasons that we should just stay divided and stay on our side and not love those different people in our life or not love those different fragments, the different, quote, people within ourselves. The shadow self, the unhealed self, can make us really power hungry. It can really be that fuel in our ambition. And what it's really doing is it's starving us. It's starving us of higher self-esteem. It's keeping us quiet when we need to speak. It keeps us contracted when the call is to expand. You know, love is always finding a new way to love. That's the expansive nature of love. I can love this way, and I can love this way. I can love when I say this. It's really loving to do this. And I can love that and that and them and them and him and her and and me and me and inside me and outside of me. More ways to love more. That's expansive. Unhealed self is not too many ways. So with all that shadowiness, <laughs> with all the trouble that the ego can get us into, with how it can derail our lives... Of course, we're going to think of the ego as the villain in our life, and nobody wants to be the villain. So we think of the ego as something that is not really us. It's something that's apart from us. It's not connected to our sacred nature. It's not divine. But the ego is not separate from us, not in the least. It just likes to, you know, keep up that appearance. The ego, really esoterically speaking, is not even really a thing. Again, it's just this way of being. The shadow, all things come from source. The shadow comes from the same source as light, but the shadow isn't real. So it's only a projection, right? There is light and all light casts the shadow. All light comes from the same creative source, universal intelligence, God, infinity, whatever term you identify with. So even though the shadow isn't real, because it's just the outskirts, it's just the fringe of the light, it's not a real thing, it still has a divine origin, it's just lower on the chain, right? All shadows are cast by light, which is to say, the ego is a figment of your imagination, but you are the one doing the imagining. So it's not real, but you are imagining it. You are the source. You are the light source that is casting the shadows. You are the infinity. You are the God that has created the ego. You are controlling the mind that is thinking unreal thoughts. Now we could argue, can the mind ever create a real thought? I don't think so, but I think the mind can create higher vibration thoughts that get us closer to the truth, and the truth is a state of non-thinking. The truth is a state of beingness, no thoughts required. Love is just radiating. Okay, so while the ego is very much a false sense of an alone self, it's like a false sense of a false self, it very much belongs to us. We created it. So rather than trying to tame it or to leave it behind on our way to so-called enlightenment, we need to accept it. 
we created it. It's our emotional baby. So we accept it for what it is. And when we accept the ego for what it is, our creation, that is helping point us back to who we truly are, then we finally come to some peace. Our work is not so much to dissolve the ego as it is to help it calm down. And this, by the way, is one of the things that we work on in my heart-centered membership. We are using tools of reflection and contemplation and high-hearted conversation to dissolve all those illusions of separateness. The Heart Center membership is really a, I like to think of it as a refuge. We meet every other week for a heart-to-heart class. If you can't be there live, you get the recording. If you are interested in going deeper in a conscious community, you head to daniellelaporte.com slash heartcentered. All right, let's talk about the contrast between loving and the ego, or as Adyashanti, one of my favorite spiritual teachers says, egoing. So again, ego is a behavioral pattern. It's a way of thinking, and it's either on the defense or it's on the offense, but it's never in the center. It's never in the heart center, right? It's always polarizing. So again, it's not so much that we have an ego, it's that we ego, quote unquote, our way through life. So when we could be loving, We are egoing, right? How do we get out of this? How do we be more loving? First step is we recognize the ego as just a behavior pattern. We created it. It's a way of being. So when we see the ego as the behavioral pattern that it is, then it helps us to dissolve that image of the ego being this enemy. The ego is not the enemy. The ego is not the enemy. The ego is the gift (laughs) that doesn't want to be given away (laughs) by the ego. The ego is really just a cry for love, okay? So when we see it as a behavioral pattern, that image of it being an enemy is going to dissolve. It's going to lighten up. When we see the ego as a way of operating instead of that external character, then it helps us to be more understanding with it. It helps us to be more compassionate with ourselves. This is our byproduct of the mind. So when we're being a bit arrogant or a bit too timid for our own good, what if instead of saying, well, that's my ego and I need to get it in check, and we scold it and we get all motivational speaker on it and we try and tame it, what if instead when we have those little emotional flare-ups, or emotional collapses, we just say, oops, I was egoing. That is an act of love that helps us get back to being more loving. The ego is our contrast, right? It's the contrast to truth. This gets into the purpose of the ego. Darkness calls on us to what? To bring the light. So the gift of the ego is to show us our truth. It's a non-truth creation to show us our capital truth, who we really are. Ego thinking resists life. It's it's anti-aliveness. It dulls our vibrancy. It, it, um, it holds us back from that sense of, that awareness actually, more than a sense of our unlimitlessness. 
So imagine that you have a few unloving thoughts. It's pretty easy, right? And there's more unloving thoughts, and misery loves company. So those unloving thoughts start to cluster together. They form this conglomeration. They form a company. The name of that company would be the ego. So ego actions are just driven by this this kind of entity, you could say, of unloving thoughts, of anti-life, anti-vibrancy thoughts, divisive thoughts. And because life always wants to live more, right? That divine feminine principle of creativity, of aliveness, it's always looking for ways and reasons to generate more life. It's always looking for new seeds to nourish, for more people to love, right? What the small self does, the ego self, is it hides what it doesn't want anybody else to see. But at the same time, it's very secretly hoping that it's going to attract someone who finally sees it for what it is. It wants to be seen. It wants the light, the light of your consciousness. It wants the attention of your love, but it's just going to hide and act like it doesn't want any of that. Mm -hmm. What's the beautiful opposite of hiding? Intimacy. So if the gift of the ego is to show us who we truly, truly are, then it also means that the ego, in this kind of wacky way, is this really wonderful trainer in intimacy. So as we go about our egoing, our shrinking, our dividing, our non-loving, as we are comparing and fearing and rejecting parts of ourselves and parts of other people, you know, what we're really doing there is we're getting to know our shadow selves. We are figuring out what it means to have our shadow selves revealed because it's the shadow self that's always in fear, that's always in rejection mode. And when that happens, when we're in a constant state of rejection of parts of ourselves and other people, then what's it an amazing opportunity for? (laughs) Acceptance, compassion, intimacy, forgiveness. We remember that ultimately, The wounded self, the ego, is always crying for love, wants to come home to the heart. If love is union, then the ego is division. What divides everything? Fear. So the ego behavior is addicted to fearful thinking. So it's that shadow self, you know, that has you doom scrolling at 11.30 at night. It's the ego mind that is always reminding you that you have been hurt before, that you shouldn't trust again, you know, all false. So just like misery loves company, the ego self is always looking for, it's always recruiting another illusion to believe or another hurt to recapitulate or another complaint to get cozy with. So I think we're all familiar with that addictive nature of fearful thinking, like can't stop, kind of just love to chew on it, you know? But really what it is, any form of addiction, is really just a form of imprisonment. When we're addicted to anything, a substance, a way of thinking, a dynamic in a relationship, we are not 
free. We are essentially not in our right mind. And by right mind, I mean our heart. So think about how society treats its addicted members. How do we treat so-called addicts? I don't like to refer to people as addicts. It's just another negative label. Let me put it this way. How do we treat our fellow humans who are struggling with addictive behaviors? We don't treat them very well, do we? We treat them like defective second-class citizens, worse than second-class citizens in so many cases. And there's an analogy here. This is how we treat the addicted parts of our individual selves. This is how we treat the entrapped part of ourselves, essentially with contempt. And contempt is the last thing that is going to heal that struggle. So what every addiction and its host needs in order to heal is the opposite of contempt, is compassion and understanding and hope. Compassion, understanding, hope to all beings struggling with every kind of addiction. Just imagine that. So this brings us to the whole... um, concept and practice of harm reduction. So harm reduction is a public health philosophy and how it supports drug users, those addicted to drugs, is by focusing on positive change. So I'll give you this very specific description of this. This is defined by Harm Reduction International. Focusing on positive change free of, and I quote, judgment, coercion, discrimination, or requiring that they stop using drugs as a precondition of support. They don't have to stop their addictive behavior in order to be supported, in order to be loved. I really think this is a brilliant approach that can be applied to anything. So essentially, it addresses the paradox that fighting against a harmful thing, so whether it's a drug addiction or like ongoing anxiety, The harmful thing can't be treated by punishing the person who's suffering. You can't punish the person who is enacting the addictive behavior. They need compassion, understanding, and hope. So what harm reduction is doing essentially is removing the moral judgment. And wouldn't that be great for all of us to remove our moral judgment of each other and of ourselves, you know? And to simply focus on... Just creating a less toxic environment in which healing is going to be more possible. And this is really the through line of all things I have to say right now about how to be loving as a noun, as a verb, as a book. That our call right now is to use the intelligence of our heart to create conditions of healing. And we do that by not judging ourselves for what we've already got going on. So here's a prescription. Of course, it's entirely optional. Speak kindly to the part of yourself that is always looking for reasons to be afraid. What's the part of ourselves that's perpetually scanning for reasons to be scared of something? The wounded self. The ego mind. It's addicted to it. Speak kindly to that addicted part of ourselves. 
We're going to have to be really consistent with this. We're going to have to be really insistent with our compassion, very steady with our loving tone with ourself every day, with our loving tone to everybody. What I'm actually prescribing here is that, and I know this is trippy, we extend reverence to the addiction. We honor it for showing up because it's here to show us our healing capacity. The addiction, when we meet it with love, is going to show us how loving we are, how very, very powerful we are, how not alone we are. That deserves some reverence. What happens when we bring some loving kindness, just a little bit of respect to that shadowy behavior and all the pain it's caused in our life? The love we give it calms it down. And then the addiction itself, the behavior itself, that conglomeration of thoughts that is doing something that numbs us out to our power, it starts to relax. You know, it becomes less tempted to go looking for other fearful thoughts to feed on. More love calms the fear down, and the fear stops looking to feed. And I think this is how all rehabilitation begins, with sincere connection, intimacy with our shadow and our light. Love. Can we keep talking about love? Yeah, let's do it. I want to talk about peace. When we suppress feelings and emotions, uh, it's going to create this energy backup. Any kind of energy backup creates some kind of toxicity, a blockage that festers and creates some poison in the system, right? So let's look at those little toxic things that we hold on to, that we don't want anybody to see, that we don't let see the light of our love. Things like our greedy parts, our needy parts. So if we deny the needy and the greedy parts within ourselves, then what's going to happen? They're only going to become more needy and more greedy. If we are yelling at, admonishing our shadow, then the shadow is going to grow from that punishing attention, right? Conflict is fuel for more conflict. Warring actions just creates more war, right? This is common sense and quantum physics. Now, here's the thing with love and the ego with love and fear, with healed and realized and unhealed and ignorant. Love does not want to go to war with the ego. Love does not want to go to war with anything or anyone. But the ego always wants to go to war with love. Even though what the ego wants more than anything, anything, anything is love. So here's a metaphor. Who here has been around a wounded dog? I grew up on a farm. So I have seen my share of wounded dogs. I also watched Old Yeller when I was really, really little, did not get it. And one of my favorite movies is How to Kill a Mockingbird. And there is that incredible scene where Atticus Finch has to put the dog with rabies out of its misery. All right, let me come back from classic cinema and Harper Lee to the wounded dog. So if you've been around a dog, that's hurt. They typically are just 
out of their minds. They're barking madly. So, you know, survival instincts and adrenaline and confusion. And the animal, the wounded animal is going to fend you off with viciousness. But we all know what the wounded dog really needs is to befriend its rescuer. You are there to help it. Why isn't it calming down and snuggling up next to you, right? Our wounded selves, same thing. So the wounded self says, don't look too closely at me. Bark, bark, bark. Do not ask penetrating questions that might reveal what's underneath my facade. Bark, bark. Whatever you do, do not confuse me with affection when I am so used to rejection. Bark, barking. (laughs) But more than anything, more than anything, the wounded self wants to be folded into the healed self. You know, it just, it wants to snuggle. The ego, it wants to be integrated, not segregated. It's going to resist. That's its job. It wants to stay alive. It's going to keep telling you that you are inferior or you are superior and them and them, et cetera, et cetera. Your small self is going to tell you that what the news is parroting, and it is parroting, is more important than your mental health. That small part of you, that shrunken part of you that wants to stay small, is going to tell you to tame your ideals and to keep your opinions to yourself. And why is that? Because if you aspire higher toward the virtues of love, your smallness is going to outgrow its container. Love dissolves every lie and expands what's true. All fragments of life, and we are the fragmenters. All those fragments want to return to life source, wants to come home. And so we have to remember that even the small self was birthed by something magnificent. You. We have to keep in mind that resistance has this small inkling that remembers what it's like to feel relief. And you can proceed with every single choice, knowing that even the darkness remembers that it came from light. The wound is the way to our medicine. The ego, which causes so many problems, is really the gift that shows us who we really are. Love. Thank you so much for listening, for feeling, for spreading the word with love.